Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship today. And I am grateful to be back with you, obviously, today. As I think many of you know, um, our daughter was diagnosed with cancer the day after Memorial Day, and it's been an interesting journey for us, but I just want to say a word of thanks to you. Cindy and I want you to know we love you, and thank you for all of your prayers and your support and food and just all the many expressions of love and uh, concern for our family, and she is doing well, and we're grateful for that. So thank you for loving the Wiles family well, and uh, we're glad to be with you. I want to thank the personnel committee for, again, allowing me to have this study leave, which I now have each year, and gives me a time to rest some and then prepare for next year, and I was able to do that, and I'm grateful for that. And then uh, on Tuesday of this last week, I celebrated my 22nd anniversary as your pastor. So 22 years, it's kind of hard to believe. <laughs> and um, we uh, obviously, Cindy and I were teenagers when we arrived and uh, we have, we've matured quite well uh, during these last two decades with you. But I'm grateful, energized for the future, looking forward to where God is leading us and I'm looking forward to sharing with you what the Lord has placed on my heart for the future of our church. So with that said, let me just begin this new series today. You know that our theme for this year is why does it matter? And each liturgical season of the year, we've been exploring different facets of that question. And this summer, we looked at eternity. Why does it matter? So for June and July, that was our topic. We've had a great and meaningful summer here at our church. On Tuesday this week, I uh, was back for staff meeting, and each staff member, or many of them, um, reported to the full staff just what's taken place over the summer. I wish we'd videoed it. I, I wish you all could have been there to hear the many things that have happened in the life of our church this summer, lives that have been changed, um, people that have joined our church. The ministries from every age group gave testimonies about what God has done and accomplished in the lives of people this summer, our mission trips, we've had teams in Mexico and on the border and uh, in Colorado and Slovenia and so many other places. But in fact, this summer, all three leaders of our global centers were actually here with us uh, in Texas, here at our church. We got to visit with all three of them and it's just been a really meaningful summer. And you know that John 3.16 was our focal verse for uh, June and July. And many of you took photos with John 3.16 all over. We've got a little montage, a little collage of photos. Let's just look at some of these that you sent in as people were traveling, they were with their families, and uh, got their photos made in various places around the world, and uh, here are two of our newest church members, obviously, um, but in so many different places where you went as families, as individuals, um, I love these uh, expressions of the life that God has given us in Jesus. Um, the Bertrands were on the Sea of Galilee, pretty cool place to be with a John 3.16 sign, and um, that's my brother Emerson, his wife Mary, and uh, but the Lord has spoken through gener to generations 
through that one verse, and we'll even talk a little bit about it today. So it's been a great time. And now we turn the page to August. I don't know who made the decision that August is not actually part of the summer, but that's what people tell me now. Um, it sure feels like summer to me. Um, but so we're going to begin a new series today, and uh, I've entitled it The Supernatural. Why does it matter? And I'm looking forward to sharing this material with you. In September, we will look at the church and why does the church matter? But let's begin with the supernatural. So what do I mean by the supernatural? I would just put it like this. The Holy Spirit of God at work in this world. That's what I mean by the supernatural. From 1959 to 1964, one of the leading shows in television, it opened with the voice of Rod Serling. And he said something along these lines at the intro of each episode of that TV show. You unlock this door with the key of imagination and beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance. And then he always closed with this line, you've just crossed over into the twilight zone. So um, y'all can Google that, uh, okay? But I remember watching the reruns of it and just that music gives me the heebie-jeebies just a little bit. But that shows success. It was revived in the 1980s, I believe. I think that's right. To me, it just illustrates the infatuation that many people have with the supernatural. Something beyond this world. John's gospel gives us insight into the real supernatural. And we find in John's gospel the most explicit, the most expansive teaching in the entire Bible on the Holy Spirit. And here's what we discover in John's gospel. There really is another dimension. There is a deep reality that is purposeful and it has intentionality to it. And right now it is in force. This world is real, obviously. You experience it through your senses. And there's, there's no doubt this world is real. It can be experienced. But there is another dimension that is just as real as this world. And that's the spiritual world. The supernatural world. You see, God has created you with a unique design. He has created you with a beautiful gift. On the one hand, God has created you so that you might have real, meaningful, deep, significant experiences in this world. But he has also created you in his image, which means you have the capacity to experience the supernatural world where God is at work right now. Here's the problem. The problem is you're a sinner. And so am I. And because every one of us has sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God, we are susceptible to the attractions and the distractions and the gravitational pull of this world. And so what's happening to every one of us is that those attractions and those distractions are like gravity. 
and it pulls us down into this world to where it serves us the notion that this world is all there is. And people all around us have bought into that fallacy that this world is all there is. So consequently, there are many among us who believe that the ultimate answers for humanity are found in this world only. So consequently, there are those who believe that political systems will provide the answer ultimately for the ills of this world or expressions of power or powerful corporations, demonstrations of, of earthly influence and power. And many people believe that that's where the answer is. As a matter of fact, right now, our world is dominated by that kind of news. People all around us in our society believe that the answer that we're all looking for is going to be found in the next election that some political leader, some political movement is going to provide for us or it's found in the next success of some very uh, influential corporation as it provides some type of invention that serves the good of humanity. And people are convinced that this world is all there is. So just pay attention this week as you watch the news and just listen to how much of the news is about the forces that are at play in this world as if they offer the ultimate answer. Don't you wish there was a heavenly news network that you could just flip on every once in a while and go, oh, okay, this is what's really going on. Guess what? There is one. It's the Spirit of God at work revealing the things of God. And guess what the Lord's revealed to us? This world is not all there is. When I was 25 years old, I was in seminary and I've uh, been studying for a while. I was finishing my master's degree. And my vision was getting blurry. And it happened gradually. So I just didn't notice it uh, uh, when it first started to happen. I'd never worn glasses in my life. And Cindy and I were pastoring a little church in Oklahoma, Jimtown, Oklahoma. We drove up there every Saturday night. Uh, the church at that time didn't have a parsonage, so we spent the night in one of the Sunday school rooms at the church on a couch that folded down to a bed. We'd get up on Sunday morning and fold the couch up and clean up the room. And we would drive one mile from the church to the uh, Skeet and James Weldon Hicks's house. They let us use the shower on Sunday morning. We'd take a shower and then drive back to the church and clean up the room because we taught Sunday school in that room to a group of teenagers, high schoolers, and college kids. And um, so we were driving to Oklahoma uh, and we started playing a little game. I would ask Cindy, tell me when you can read the freeway sign and I'll tell you when I can read it. And so she would say, got it. And we'd just keep driving. And finally I'd say, got it. So I decided it was time to go to the eye doctor. I'd never been to the eye doctor before in my life. I went, he told me, you've got to have glasses. I'll never forget y'all the day I went and got my glasses. Are you kidding me? I said, so this is what it's like for everybody else. I'd never seen veins and leaves. I'd never seen the man in the moon. I mean, there were just so many things. All of a sudden, I could actually see. I'll never forget that experience. Well, right now, my world, their vision is clouded. They don't see the world as it really is. And so something needs to happen. We need intervention. And you know what that intervention is? Redemption. And when you're redeemed by God through Jesus Christ, after you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, then you're saved. You're forgiven for your sin. 
You're cleansed. You're made whole. You're born again. You're born anew. You're born from above, the Bible says. And you know what, y'all? Everything changes. You can finally see for the first time. It's an amazing experience. In fact, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that that's what's got to happen. This verse, John three sixteen, the Bible says, for God so loved you. He so loved you that he gave his one and only son for you. And if you'll believe in him, then you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. And what happens to you is when you accept Jesus, God then gives you his Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. He, he marks us. The Bible says he's like a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. And here's what the Holy Spirit of God does for you. When the Spirit of God takes up residence in you at your salvation, now the very presence of God is with you for the rest of eternity. And he gives you perspective so that you can actually see what he wants you to see. He gives you power so that you now can live into the purpose that he has for your life. And prior to that, you're just not able to do it. And you can understand the things that we might call supernatural. We see John knows that. And so his gospel points you to that reality. So this morning, I want us to begin this conversation and we'll do it under this heading. This world is not all there is. And I want us to just look at the first page of the Gospel of John. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, just, just go to the very first page of John's Gospel. We won't read that entire page, just, just a little excerpt from it to introduce this conversation. So uh, I invite you to stand with me as we hear the Gospel read in honor of the Lord Jesus this morning. So John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so during the month of August, we're going to focus our attention on the gospel of John. Now, we're going to read through John's Gospel in August. Over the next four weeks, we'll start in the morning. 21 pages, four sermons. Here's what you'll notice about John, if you haven't read John in a while. John's account is unique. You read through John's Gospel, and you'll notice there are no parables. There are no uh, aphoristic sayings of Jesus. There's no Olivet Discourse on the Eschaton. There's no Sermon on the Mount. No Lord's Supper. But when you read John's gospel, you will discover there are these lengthy discourses. If you have a red letter edition of the New Testament, you'll find pages of red ink in John's gospel. You have these deep conversations that John has with others. And you'll be blessed as you read and listen. While I've been away from you, one of the things I've done is I've reviewed the spiritual theology anthology of Eugene Peterson. He wrote five books on the topic of what he called spiritual theology. 
One of those books is Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Let me read to you what he says about John's gospel in that particular book. He says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke write like kayakers on a fairly swift flowing river with occasional patches of white water. There's never any doubt but that they are going where the course of the river takes them. But John is more like a canoe on a quiet lake, drifting unhurried, paddling leisurely to take in aspects of the shoreline, noticing rock formations, observing a blue heron fishing in the rushes, pausing and drifting to sketch cloud patterns reflected in the glassy water. I love that. So here's what I want to invite you to do over these next four weeks. I want you to take your time and let's read through the Gospel of John together as a church. You may say, well, where do I get these daily Bible readings? Well, you, you can find them on our church app. You can also go to fbca.org, our website. And at the top of our website, you'll see a row of options. One of them says learn. If you just click on that learn tab, it'll open up an option for you to look at the daily Bible readings. They're Monday through Friday. Saturday's a day of reflection. So let's, as a church, let's read through the Gospel of John together. And I would invite you to pay attention. Notice how John's perspective is unique. He doesn't refer to the miracles of Jesus as miracles. He calls them signs. They're pointing to something, to his glory. And in John's gospel, Jesus doesn't teach us about the kingdom of God. He teaches us about life. And you'll see these lengthy explanations of the Holy Spirit. And you have all the adverbs Eugene Peterson likes to say. The adverbs add texture to our understanding of who Jesus is. You'll notice the I am statements in John, where Jesus will say, I am this, or I am that. You'll also meet Nicodemus, Lazarus. It's an amazing gospel. So where do we begin? Well, to begin John's gospel, you have to begin with John's prologue. That's chapter one, verses one through 18. That's what scholars call those few verses. John presents Jesus in terms of space, time, and being in his introduction to his gospel. The prologue of John's gospel, the opening 18 verses, majestic, towering, soaring, masterful. It's a beautiful piece of literature. It's amazing. It is theologically dense, filled with insight that will challenge you as you reflect upon who Jesus is. In fact, whenever you see John portrayed in medieval or Renaissance art or architecture, he normally has an eagle at his side. The idea is, is that John's gospel soars like an eagle. And much of that is, is, is connected to the prologue, these opening verses. Think about the other gospels. They all open variously. Matthew opens his gospel connecting Jesus to the Jewish story. Matthew tells you on page one, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And so Matthew begins with a genealogy. And the genealogy begins with Abraham because he wants you to know Jesus' story is connected to the Jewish story. Luke, on the other hand, he sets Jesus in his broader historical context. 
He shares about the research that he did as he prepared to write this gospel. He then gives this beautiful narration of the birth of Jesus. And then in Genesis, I mean in uh, Luke 3, he connects Jesus to the human story. He also has a genealogy, but he traces Jesus all the way back to Adam and connects Jesus to the human story. Mark is different than the other two gospel writers. Mark begins with the adult Jesus. He does not mess around. He doesn't tell you about the birth of Jesus. He doesn't need any wise men or shepherds. Page one, Jesus is already preaching and teaching. He goes straight to the ministry of Jesus. What about John? How does John start his gospel? John reaches even further than Luke. John reaches all the way into the distant past. And John, when asked, tell me about Jesus, John says this, in the beginning, before Adam, before anything else existed. And he gives testimony to the pre-existent nature and reality of the word of God. Andreas Kostenberger has spent a lot of time studying the gospel of John. He's an Austrian New Testament scholar. And he's written extensively on John's gospel. He says that the prologue, when John opens his gospel, he presents Jesus in terms of space, time, and being. Kostenberger says when it comes to space in the prologue, Jesus is presented as this universal cosmic person in a universal cosmic story that starts in the beginning, culminates in all people's stories. If you look at verse 11, verse 12, it goes beyond and expands beyond just the Jewish story. Anybody that accepts Jesus becomes a child of God. In terms of time, he sets this story in eternity and offers us an eternal perspective, the eternally pre-existent word of God. In terms of being, he gives testimony to the very essence of Jesus. In other words, John is going to focus on who Jesus is. Jesus will say repeatedly in John's gospel, I am. And so it's a powerful, beautiful introduction to the person of Jesus. So, with all that said, the, who is Jesus? If, if we want to understand the supernatural, if we want to know the reality of the supernatural, we have to start with Jesus. Jesus is the one who really reveals to us the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is going to do and how we connect to the supernatural. And Jesus is a supernatural person himself. He is God in the flesh. And so he is going to give us glimpses of the supernatural as he lives his life and teaches us in the gospel of John in particular. So who is Jesus? Well, I want to just give you uh, three quick words that John uses. Logos is the first one. Jesus is the word of God. John wrote his gospel in Greek. N-R-K-H-A-N-H-A-L-O-G-O-S. That's the opening sentence. In the beginning was the word. Logos in Greek. We translate that Greek word into English with the English term word. Logos is the Greek term for word. We get the English word logic, logical, logistics. Those words come from this Greek word Logos. In the first century when John wrote this gospel, Logos was a theologically and religiously pregnant term. It meant something to all groups of people. Religions used this word. Primarily the Greeks used this word. 
The Greek philosophers, the Greek Stoics, they loved the word logos. To them, logos was this divine principle, this ultimate reality, this impersonal, rational principle pervaded the universe. The Stoics said, if you want to live your life in sync with the universe, then you have to live your life in sync with the logos, with reason. And that's how you will find ultimate reality. Life was found in sync with logos. The Jews, the Jewish theologians, and John was a Jew. Well, John, uh, he was very well aware of how the Jews viewed this word. The Jews used this word to use it, used it to refer to the personification of wisdom. When you read the Old Testament, particularly in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a person. And so many of the Jewish theologians began to talk about the wisdom of God being present with God from the very beginning. And so the idea that the wisdom of God was the divine logos, this expression of, of God's best and what God offered us. In fact, Paul will call Christ the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1. So where did John get this word? Why did John use this word to begin his gospel with? In the beginning was the logos. Is he talking about this impersonal principle? Is he talking about wisdom? Well, here's what I would say. I believe that John is hearkening back to his understanding of how God has revealed himself in what you and I would call the Old Testament. John would just call it the scripture. He was very well versed in the scripture. He knew exactly what the Old Testament taught. And so when John uses the word logos, I am convinced he is using it to refer to the very word of God. What's my first clue? Well, how does John start his gospel? In the beginning. Every Jew who heard that, what did they think of? Genesis 1. Because you see, God's word is his self-revelation. You read Genesis 1 in the beginning, and guess what's going to happen in the beginning? God said, God said, God said, God said. When God spoke, things happened. Every time God would speak, it's self-revelation. We know who he is. We know what's important to him. We know his thoughts. We know his intentions. He spoke creation into existence, and now he's speaking recreation into existence. Genesis 1 is the creation event. John 1 is the recreation event. Genesis 1 hinges on the word of God. John 1 hinges on the word of God. Jesus is that divine logos the Bible says in Hebrews 1, in the past, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So when John uses logos, he's hearkening back to the word of God in the Old Testament and the fact that God's word is God's self-revelation. Think about it. Think about how much your words reveal about you. There's so much I know about you because of what you say. What you say expresses your intention. It expresses your will. It expresses your thoughts. So our words are powerful. And God's word is powerful. So, for example, let me just give you a place that I believe John draws from when he uses Logos. Listen to Isaiah 55, verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, 
so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for when I sent it. God's word, it ushers forth from God himself and reveals who God is. It goes toward God's mission. It accomplishes God's mission. It returns to God to report the fruit of the mission. Think about the Logos, the word of God. Jesus comes from God. He's revealing who God is. He is going to reveal the very mission of God. He's going to accomplish the mission of God. He's going to return to God and report the fruit of the mission. And so all of that imagery to me is behind John's use of the word Logos, the word of God, the creative agent of God and the recreative agent of God. John also says in this text, are y'all still with me? Okay, John also says he is life. Notice what happens in this text. Look at verse four. In him was life. Jesus is the life. 36 times in John's gospel, he uses the word life. John talks about the abundant life, the everlasting life, the resurrection life. Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, the life. And so the gospel of John is a testimony about the life that Jesus offers you. The Bible says that the righteous will live by faith. When God created you, he created you to live. He has fashioned you so that you can live purposefully, meaningfully. You can flourish in this world as you're connected to the next one. And Jesus has made that available. And that's why Jesus will say, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will live even when you die, Jesus teaches us. So God has created you to live in Jesus, you will find life in its fullest expression in such a way that you can't find it anywhere else. And then finally, he is light. Jesus is the light of the world is what John says. This life, he says, look at verse four, is the light of all humanity. The life of Jesus is actually the light of the world. And that light now shines in darkness. Jesus was born into a dark world. You and I live in a dark world where the vision of the people around us is blurred by the darkness. Jesus ushers forth in light and the light shines in the darkness and illumines the path to God, the only path to life. And here's what John says about darkness. Look at verse five. The darkness, he says, that's hard to translate this word in English. He, the NIV, the new NIV says, will not overcome it. Sometimes it says it will not comprehend it. That's because the Greek word underneath that phrase means to grasp with your mind or to grasp with your hand. It can mean either one. To grasp with your mind means to comprehend. To grasp with your hand means to overtake it. And here's basically what John is saying. I think it's kind of a both and that the darkness of this world cannot really grasp the light of Christ and it certainly can't seize it and overcome it. The light will always dispel darkness. Jesus said about himself in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. And then the connection to the supernatural, Jesus teaches us this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit connects us to the supernatural life because Jesus says in John 15, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will testify about me. John 16, verse 14, the Bible says he will glorify me. So you and I, we find our way 
into the supernatural as we find our way on the Jesus way. And I want you to know it is more real than the twilight zone. It is eternity. It is God's presence already here on this earth. John's gospel is about inaugurated eschatology, the now and the not yet. Jesus shows us that his kingdom has broken through on planet earth and the light of this gospel will never be extinguished. It's my prayer, it's my hope that you will get connected to the supernatural world as you find your way on the Jesus way. May it be so. Let's pray together. Well, Father, today we are grateful, Lord, for the truth of the gospel, for the power of the gospel, for the beauty and the testimony of the light of the gospel, for the truth of the divine logos, that the word there in the beginning became flesh and dwelt among us. So Lord, I pray that we will all find our way on the Jesus way. And through that, we'll be connected to that which is eternal. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.